You're listening to the Arise Bible Academy podcast. In this week's lesson, Respect for Others, the first lesson of the Ten Commandments module, Anne Wallace and Simon Hobden will deal in turn with honouring our parents and respecting others, not coveting what they have. We hope you enjoyed today's teaching and please remember to head on over to ariseministry.org.uk where you can study our past modules, see our future modules and see the other ministries we have to offer. You can also now follow us on social media by going to Arise Ministry UK. And now over to our students for today's teaching. Good evening everybody and welcome to Arise Ministry. Um, This evening is the first of four weeks where the students are going to be talking about the Ten Commandments. Okay, but before I start on on mine, uh, we'll just have a moment in prayer if that's okay. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, we thank you for Arise Ministry. We thank you for all the learning and the growth that we all receive, Father God. Lord, and for tonight, Lord, be with me. Uh, may your words convey the message that you want. And, uh, and it's not about me, Lord. It's about you, Father God. So we give tonight to you in your precious name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, as I said, the Ten Commandments um, started, obviously, in the Old Testament. It started with Moses receiving the two tablets. Um, Interesting enough, which I didn't know, so here's an admission, from those Ten Commandments, there are actually 613 of them. Yeah, I might be the only one that didn't know that. So, And I haven't gone through all 613. I have found some of them quite interesting. One of them actually said about a woman shouldn't wear men's clothing, and I wear trousers all the time. So there, there, there we go. Anyway... You'll be pleased to know this evening, I'm only going to talk about one of them, not, any of the, not all of the 613. But before I do, I just want to go back to those times when Moses received those tablets of those Ten Commandments. So in those days, this was, of course, um, Israel, 40 years in the desert, the Promised Land, the tablets, New Beginning, and it was all about God promising new life, peace, and all those sort of things. Um, So when I looked at this, I actually thought, saved, free, and forgiven. We've heard that somewhere else as well, haven't we? We've heard that in the New Testament, uh, when Jesus went to his death. He He died, he was crucified, died, and resurrected to life. And through his sacrifice, we were free and we were saved and we have forgiveness. So why did I mention Jesus in the New Testament when we're talking about the commandments in the Old Testament? Well, the Old Testament commandments were given to Israel and the the New Testament was born out of grace and love from Jesus for us. But also in the New Testament... The the grace, and that didn't just cover just Israel, it covered the world. So it was a completely different situation. I just want to um, look at Jeremiah 
31 um, and it would be, I'm going to be reading verses 31 to 35. You don't have to look at it. You can if you want, but I'm going to read it anyway. Um, and it's just to really, just to cement what I've just been talking about. So Jeremiah 31, verses 31. The time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. I will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declared the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. I'm going to stop there because I want to go back to that verse in 33 where it says, I put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. And this sentence just kept provoking me and provoking me. And um, as Pastor Philip will always say, I believe. And I believe that the first part of this, when it says the law in their minds, this is God referring to the old covenant, the law by which the favour of God was given to his people. And the second part of this, where it says, and written on their hearts, I would say this is referring to the new covenant. It's the one of grace, a relationship with love and that of Jesus Christ. So I think in that sentence alone, for me, that speaks of the old covenant and the new covenant and what it means. The Ten Commandments is a moral code for how we should live. They set us apart from the world, even today. Some people may believe that we don't need the commandments because we now live by grace. My comment to that would be that when Jesus was alive, he lived by the Ten Commandments. Indeed, he spoke about the Ten Commandments throughout his life and he was obedient to God. And now, over 2,000 years later, we still have that foundation for all of, well, certainly the Western ethical and moral thinking is probably steeped in those 10 commandments. So, finally, we get round to mine. The commandment for tonight is in Exodus 20, verse 12, which is, honour your father and mother so that you may live long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. He said giving you because, of course, this was at the Old Testament where he was just giving this to Moses for the people of Israel. So this was what he was setting out for them and for, for all his people and which flows through now, 2023. The definition of honour, according to my little dictionary at home, is high respect and great esteem. It doesn't say it's about love at all. 
It's about high respect. I believe that parents have the responsibility to love and show love to their children, to show them right from wrong, to help them grow into the best person they can be. And in return for this, the child will respect and honour their parents and have the moral compass to do this, to enjoy, perhaps, as it was said in the Bible, a long life, but maybe go on to have an even longer life in eternity. If there's any doubt about this, we see this in 2, T 2 Timothy chapter 3. I'm not going to turn to it because I've got it written down. I'll just read it out. It talks about the last days of people who are full of immorality and disobedience to their parents. We cannot outgrow God's honour. Sorry, we cannot outgrow God's command to honour our parents. And it further goes on in Proverbs 1 verse 8 to say, Listen to your father's instruction and do not forsake your mother's teaching. Now, if all these messages weren't enough to convince you, what about this one? Proverbs 30 verse 17. This is coming a lot stronger. The eyes that mock a father that scorns obedience to a mother will be pecked out by the ravens of the valley and eaten by the vultures. I think we probably all get the message after that, don't we? Okay, so it's quite clear that the Bible is telling us to honour our father and mother. Maybe we don't necessarily want to refer to that verse so, so regularly, but never mind, it's still there. So children of all ages, irrespective of how old that child is, will always be a child to somebody. So irrespective of our age, we should always respect our parents and honour them. Now, this is the big boom, because let me tell you, I have struggled with this. I have struggled with this big time. And I'm going to go on to explain in a minute why. And before I do, this talk I'm giving tonight is not the talk that I was going to give. I actually had six sheets of notes that I was going to be talking about tonight on my laptop, not printed. And they disappeared off my laptop. And a close friend who was big in IT, he wasn't called Simon, talked me through ways of recovering my work. And she came up with all different things for me to press buttons and do, and to no avail, I could not find it. So I thought, right, okay. So I'll admit, after a bit of shouting at the laptop and threatening to throw it through the window, I calmed myself down and I asked God, why did this happen? Well, as you can imagine, I didn't get an immediate answer and I probably asked about three or four times, well, probably about six or seven times, if I'm honest. And then I just suddenly felt a memory come floating back to me. And it was a memory going back to 2006 uh, when I went to KwaZulu-Natal in South Africa. 
there I gave my first public talk about my childhood experiences. That was not my purpose for the visit. My purpose for the visit was to work with the children there, the children particularly who suffered from AIDS and HIV. And it was particularly those children that were in the villages um, that needed the education. So that was, that was what my purpose was going out there. Well, let me tell you, that, that wasn't how it worked out at all. I was asked by the lady in charge of the ladies' meetings if I would do a little talk to a few ladies. And I said, yeah, okay. She says, you pick any subject you like. So I went away, and as you do, you pray about it. And immediately, the Holy Spirit said to me, speak about what happened to you when you were a child. I thought, no, 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 no. I can't do that. I can't do that. But of course I did. So I did this talk. And I talked about my early childhood and about sexual abuse. And at the end of my talk, three women came up to me in a state of distress, but also like relief because they had finally found somebody to share what they considered was their own shame with me because they knew because of what I had shared to them. So we sat down, we had a little chat, found out a little bit about them. And then they wanted to know how I'd sort of come through the other end, is the expression. And I said, it was because of forgiveness. It's because of forgiveness. And only Jesus can, can do that. So that was, that was then, that was 2006. So I don't know... I think I know why now, now that I'm standing here, but I didn't know why I had to rewrite my notes based going back all those years. And what I believe is that somebody, not necessarily listening now, but somebody in the future may listen to this and actually relate to it. And I hope what is said next, actually, it helps them in some way. So what I'm about to go into really is how you can come good, for want of a better expression, in spite of lack of positive parental upbringing. Because I'm standing here and I'm gonna, I'm gonna be telling you this. But we also need to remember what the Bible says to us in Ezekiel 20 about do not follow the statutes of your parents or keep their laws or defile yourselves with their idols. I am the Lord your God. Follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. So in Ezekiel there, he's actually saying, this is the one time you won't follow the rule of honouring your parents if your parents are not honouring God. So I just want you to bear that in mind as we, as we go on. So as I said, I've struggled with this command for many years. I'm being honest about it. Actually, it was throughout my childhood, my adolescence, and into adulthood, to be honest. And um, so what happened was, at the age of eight, my father refused to believe 
that I had been sexually abused by a family member. And I'm sorry if that's shocking some of you, but I'm over it now. It's, it's dealt with. Thank you, Lord. My, father, my mother at the time reacted differently. She confronted the person and I was never left alone again with that person. However, I'd like to say that was the end of it, but one abuse finished and other abuses took their place because my father thought that I was just such a wicked child that it turned into physical, emotional and mental abuse through the rest of my childhood and adolescence. I was treated differently from my other three siblings in every way, in big ways and little ways. And you might think, how can it be a little way if you're being treated differently? Well, just to lighten the story a bit, um, if it can be lightened, is I remember a small thing as a child. And if anybody listening to this out there, I know that even a small thing can be devastating. I remember my dad, and I probably was about 13, 14 at the time, I was going through that teenage period, and my dad went outside to the ice cream van to get some 99s. And for those people who don't know what a 99 is, maybe I'm just a bit old-fashioned, it's a cone with ice cream and a Cadbury's flake stuck in the ice cream. Very nice. I don't know if they still do them. And he came in and he gave everybody their ice cream, but not me. I didn't, I didn't get one. And I was made to sit there whilst they all had their ice cream. Now, what happened there was how I lived, if you like, how I dealt with those situations. I wore a mask. I'm not bothered. You know, that was what I did. I wasn't bothered, you know. And I wore this mask, and it was this mask that kind of got me through, really, if I'm being honest. But I'm here to tell you, I did have a feeling. I did sense the shame, the rejection, the not being included, the being hard on myself, feelings like I had to handle everything myself because I couldn't trust anybody else. And this continued way into my adult life. And all this was because I didn't have a loving father. I loved and respected my mother, but I had no positive feelings, no honour for my father. Yeah, I certainly did not respect him in any way. If anything, I was just very wary of him. So yes, I was emotionally messed up for many years and kept it hidden from, from everyone. But it didn't stop me making things happen in my life. And this is part of this message. You can be a victim and stay a victim, or you can be a victim and become a victor. And how you do it is by changing that attitude. And for me, I start working and I work very hard, very diligent in my work. And um, I actually got, and it's not bragging, it's just actually so you see where I've come from. I ended up in a senior management position. Uh, I was well respected and well liked. So, you know, for all the stats would say that somebody that's come from an abusive childhood they don't fare well in life. Well, let me tell you, 
Don't always listen what you read. It's not always true. There's always somebody that's going to be different. And the reason I'm different is because of Jesus. How did I deal with this? Okay, how did I remotely get any honour back towards my father? I realised when I became a Christian, the biggest thing that was weighing me down was lack of forgiveness. Lack of forgiveness for the person from when I was a child and lack of forgiveness for my, towards my father. And I was invited in those days way back to go through what was called then, um, you know, Freedom in Christ appointment. And two ladies from the church sat you down and you read from page one to page last, whatever it was, and you went through all these hoops. And one of the hoops was forgiveness. And, you know, I struggled. I'm not going to pretend I really struggled to do it because what it meant was that I had to... I had to face all of those negatives that had happened in my life and I didn't want to because I put myself into a safe place and I didn't want to get out of that safe place. Anyway, I did that. I did that. And what happened at the end of that, and I can honestly say this is so, so true, that I knew I was set free. I knew I was set free from everything that had happened to me. No longer was I going to be that victim. Now, I'd like to say that that freedom made a big difference to my relationship with my father. Um, it didn't. It didn't. But I had changed. And what happened was, when I went visiting, I wasn't allowing him to play mind games with me. I wasn't allowing myself to be put back into the, into the victim situation. And I was certainly not going to let him steal my peace that God had put into me. Um, through time, our relationship did improve because, perhaps, maybe, because he could see that I was no longer... He wasn't getting a reaction out of me or whatever. I don't know. I'll ask God that when I get to heaven one day, you know. Anyway, moving on, six years ago, my father died. And my mother and I sat down and she obviously felt the need to reflect on my childhood. And she said to me, you know, your dad was always proud of you and what you had, have achieved. But of course, I never had heard that from his lips. And then she went on to say, she believed my father could not show me love because he was haunted by the fact that he had failed to keep me safe as a child. If only you get told these things, wouldn't it just change things completely? So whilst writing this talk, it made me realise, although I had forgiven my father, my regret is that I didn't tell him face to face that I had forgiven him. And I didn't even think about that until I was doing this talk, which is, sorry, it's blown my mind. <laughs> um, I don't know if it would have made a difference if I had told him face to face or whether he would have just, blah, 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 you know, and carried on as normal. But the fact is, I know that I'm not responsible for, for others 
they have their own walk with God to deal with. So, you see, we live in strange times. You know, this world nowadays creates rules and laws that totally contradict those of the Bible. So, if we've lost this moral compass and family values are eroded, how then do we follow through with this commandment? And I think God has given a fair warning on this. Um, it says in Romans chapter 1 and chapter 2. I'm certainly not going to read it because there's quite a lot, but I'm just sort of going to give you the summary of what that means. And uh, What God was saying is people who turn away from him, from God, who do not accept him, so their hearts are hardened and dark. They put their belief in something other than the creator. They create their own creator, if you like. So God gave them over to their sinful ways and all that was natural and godly becomes unnatural and immoral. And I think, unfortunately, my opinion, my opinion only, is that there's too much of that and there's too much of that even in modern day family life. And God is very, very clear in in these verses within Romans 1 and 2. In fact, he even goes as far in verse 29 to list them. And I'm just going to fly through them because there's so many of them. He says, they became filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, depravity, envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice, insolence, arrogance, senseless, faithless, heartless, ruthless and disobedience to parents. It's there in that verse 29. My goodness. So quite a disturbing list to find that disobedience to parents comes in with all the others of murder and depravity and everything else. But there we go. That's the commandments. Honouring is not easy. It's not always fun. And it's certainly not possible in one's own strength. But honour is a certain path to our purpose, and our purpose is to glorify God. The Bible tells us, our parents, we should honour them, and we should honour them even after death. We should honour their memory. In childhood, honour, respect, whether you want to use that word, are demonstrated in children by being obedient to their parents. That's how a child would demonstrate, perhaps, respect. During my childhood, I actually was obedient to my father because I was so frightened of him. So I actually had a very unhealthy respect, if you like, if you get what I'm saying. So parents need to demonstrate positive, positive respect towards their children. So in return... That favour will be imitated by their children. If your moral compass was set badly as a child by a parent who harboured hurt, resentment and disrespect, then how else likely to are you likely to respond to your own children? Because that is your moral compass. 
You have to come out of the darkness. You have to come into the light in order to show good values that your children will inherit and pass on to the future generation. And to do this, you must come and you must find Jesus. So to sum up, I'm speaking directly, well, hopefully I'm speaking directly looking at the camera, but I'm speaking directly to anybody that's out there. The power of what you do now with your life matters in ways you can't begin to imagine. Do not let the darkness hold you back. Don't put off. Start tomorrow. Start now being a victor, not uh, a victim. I was just going to end there, but I thought I've got to end with saying something that's really nice. And I thought, well, it can't be my words, so I'll have to think of somebody else's words. And one of my favourite singers, I mean, some of you know I love music, is Beth Nielsen Chapman. I don't know if any of you have heard of her, but I, I love her. And one of her songs, I'm just going to just sort of allow me to do this. I'm just going to finish by reading the words to one of us, which I think sums up everything about um, what I've been saying and about a way forward. See if I can do our justice. Life has taught me this. Every day is new. And if anything is true, all that matters when we're through is how we love. Faced with what we lack as things fall apart, but from the ashes, new dreams start. All that matters to the heart is how we love. From the smallest act of kindness in a word, a smile, a touch. In spite of our mistakes, chances do come again. If we lose or if we win, all that matters in the end is how we love. Sometimes we forget trying to be strong in this world of right and wrong. But all that matters when we're gone, all that matters all along, all we have that carries on is how we love. Thank you. I'm uh, struck by the um, similarities tonight because um, I too lost my presentation twice, um, actually. And uh, I'm speaking from handwritten notes. The problem is no one can read my writing, not even me. Um, I like to be really prepared, I think. I probably like to put on a show. Um, tonight there will be no show um, at all. Um, and I feel just um, totally uh, inadequate because um, I lived for myself for 55 years and I still struggle with that now. Um, and the last eight weeks have certainly been uh, the most brutal in my life. Um, and um, they really came to a head this weekend. 
um, but I'm beginning to see the purpose behind it. Um, as I, I won't go into huge detail, but as I shared with the hub group that I, that I attend, I have had a visitor in my home, on my devices, and even in my school. Um, and uh, his intent, uh, I think, has been to get as much personal information as he possibly can, um, including my accounts, if he can. Uh, and uh, initially, I, I responded in an unhealthy way. Uh, and I tried to take back what I thought was mine. And you'll see how that ties in, I think, because last night at 11 o'clock, it finally dawned on me as to why this has uh, a direct connection with um, my commandment, which is the last of the commandments, thou shalt not covet. Um, and um, what I'd like to do um, is to go through that, and then I will kind of bring it around a little bit to to what's been happening. Um, I, I, I feel inadequate partly because I don't have anything to teach this room. Um, not by the way I've lived my life. Um, and I have a lot to learn and I have been doing that or trying to do that um, from, from what I've heard in this room. Um, but the spirit is the one who teaches. I don't. All he asks of me is my tongue. And that's all he's got <laughs> tonight. So um, we can just open in, in a word of prayer. Father, I just... Um, ask that what comes out of my mouth is what you would have me say and that if I am saying things that you would not have me say that you would silence me or redirect me. Amen. Um, I was really struck by the story of Jonah um, on a couple of different levels. Um, uh, first of all, I was convicted that Jonah and I have an awful lot in common. <laughs> and uh, and, and I, I, I do feel like I've been in the belly of a whale for the last little while. But the second thing that I really love about that story is that very, very brief sermon that he preaches to the people of Nineveh with, as Billy Graham used to say, the most profound result, a 100% conversion record of the city. Um, and I just think, wow. So really, you know, this, the spirit can use anyone. And Jonah was a, was a demonstration of that. Um, I feel totally hypocritical talking on the Ten Commandments because I've broken nine of them, uh, including um, the one that I'm going to speak on tonight, uh, although I would have said it was one of my lesser uh, 
uh, egregious areas. Um, I would have to say after, <laughs> after uh, being sort of convicted of, of where I covet, um, uh, I, I, think it's, I, I think it's fair to say that it's um, an area that I continue to struggle with. Uh, and I, I kind of sort of want to ask God, why did he put this one? And before I even knew, and I don't know if this happens to other people, but I sort of get, you will pick this one and you'll find out why later. <laughs> you know, in my time, not yours. Um, and I've been finding out um, exactly why. Um, again, apologies, I will struggle with my notes because I can't read my own writing. Uh, my dad and I have that in common. Um, but what I thought I would do is I would sort of set the scene a little bit uh, and read um, the first part of, of um, chapter 20 uh, and kind of read all the way through the commandments and then you'll see the positioning of, of, uh, of, of my particular commandment at the end. Uh, and I think the order of these commandments is important. Um, uh, and it's, it's sort of unmistakable. I don't want to say mine is the least, uh, but I think it has positive and negative applications, um, and we'll kind of go through that. Um, so it's Exodus chapter 20, and I'm going to read up um, until uh, the, um, the end of verse 21. Then God gave the people all these instructions. I am the Lord your God, who rescued you from the land of Egypt, the place of your slavery. You must not have any other God but me. You must not make for yourself an idol of any kind or an image of anything in the heavens or in earth or in the sea. You must not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God who will not tolerate your affection for any other gods. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children. The entire family is affected, even children in the third and fourth generations of those who reject me. But I lavish unfailing love for a thousand generations on those who love me and obey my commandments. You must not misuse the name of the Lord your God. The Lord will not let you go unpunished if you misuse his name. Remember to obey the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. You have six days each week for your ordinary work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest and dedication to, uh, dedicated to the Lord your God. On that day, no one in your household may do any work. This includes you, your sons and daughters, your male and female servants, your livestock, and for any foreigners living among you. For in six days, the Lord made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and everything in them. But on the seventh day, he rested. That is why the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and set it apart as holy. 
honor your mother and father, then you will live a long, full life in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely against your neighbor. You must not covet your neighbor's house. You must not covet his, your neighbor's wife, male or female servant, ox or donkey, or anything else that belongs to your neighbor. When the people heard the thunder and the loud blast of the ram's horn, and when they saw the flashes of lightning and the smoke billowing from the mountain, they stood at a distance, trembling with fear. And they said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but don't let God speak directly to us or we will die. Don't be afraid, Moses answered them, for God has come in this way to test you and so that your fear of him will keep you from sinning. As the people stood in the distance, Moses approached the dark cloud where God was. In, in the first little talk that I gave, um, I was just, I couldn't come to grips with this whole uh, concept of fearing God. Um, that has changed. Um, that has changed. And I think a healthy fear of God is indeed, as this passage says, what keeps us from sinning. So I just, I'm very glad for that passage after the, after the Ten Commandments because it really makes it clear the role that fear has to play um, and that our God is one who cannot be the God that he is and tolerate um, behavior that's less than his standard. And that's why we have been given this precious gift, this offering of his, his son, so that we can grasp onto it, even given our very considerable failings. Um, fear is helpful, I'm learning, as long as it is fear of God and not fear of anything else. And I'm really struggling with fearing some things that are not of God, and that's not helpful. But fear of God definitely is helpful. Um, as, you know, certainly, as this is one of the first talks on the commandment, I'd like to make just a few comments that I couldn't help but notice. Um, first of all, the, I know the, the 10 became 600 and some uh, eventually, but I think we wouldn't have even had 10 um, if we had simply followed one. Um, and that just really, really hit home to me that it's that, it's that one um, commandment 
that we must have no other God but him. And that, I think, is critical to understanding what covetousness means and the fact that, in fact, there are some good things to covet as well as bad things. Obviously, your neighbor's house, wife, whatever, is not uh, helpful. But there are some things we can covet that are very helpful. Uh, so that really uh, struck me. The second thing, and I think it's probably because I've, I've just reread uh, John Mark Comer's book, which I highly recommend. It's, uh, it comes from a conversation, or it was inspired by a conversation with Dallas Willard, which uh, someone else that I'd, I'm growing to admire. And Dallas used to counsel John, a young John Mark Comer, and he said, you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry. <laughs> you know, that, that Christ was never in a hurry. And the whole book is centered around the concept of Sabbath, which is something we don't even hear about anymore. And most Christians don't really have that, that sense um, of Sabbath. And that really hit home the amount of, of um, emphasis that's placed on the Sabbath. That's a really long stretch. But what also comes out of that is God's profound care for us. You know, there's, there's like one where he sort of takes, you, you know, where he insists on something, and then everything else is for our benefit. Um, and including thou shalt not covet, because it just leads to a spiral, in my view. But, um, but I, so I, I, just, I just really wanted to um, focus on the fact that these are delivered for our benefit, and I always looked at them as, oh, no, it's another restriction. My family is pretty serious at first. There was no television on Sunday. Uh, initially, they <laughs> sort of liberalized along the way. Uh, as I think we all have. But one of the fascinating facts that comes out of that book is that studies show that people that strictly um, celebrate the Sabbath gain exactly the amount of time they spend strictly uh, celebrating the Sabbath in their life expectancy. So it's about 10 years, taking them from 70 to 80, which is roughly the proportion of Sundays to the rest of the week, or whatever your Sabbath day is. And I thought it was really fascinating that, in fact, this is God saying, you give it to me and I'll give it right back. Uh, and it, you, you, we need that rest, and those of us that, that don't take it pay a price for it. And God knew that. And so these are all given, I think, even, even number one is not just given for God's benefit, it's all given for our benefit. So I, I want to turn now to the specific um, um, commandment, number 10. Um, I, I, I think the order is somewhat important, and I think this is, this is probably not the most egregious, but it can cause really, really serious problems um, as I'm learning. So it says, I love the build here. It says, you must not covet your neighbor's house. So it's like, first of all, it's, you know, it's property, right? Um, you must not covet your neighbor's wife. Now we're getting really serious. Uh, male or female servant, ox or donkey or anything else that belong to your neighbor. 
And I was just thinking of what begins to happen when we do that. I'm not a huge materialist. I don't, I don't tend to, I, I tend to be much more experiential. I value experiences. I, I, material goods are just a weight, you know, then you end up having to move them and it's a nightmare. You've got too many things to move. It's just, it's just not good. So I tend not to be a materialist. So I'm very, I've been very quick to dismiss myself as being covetous um, of the wrong things. And um, I find out that that's totally wrong, that covetousness doesn't just talk to the material. That's the first thing cited, but then it's everything else. And it's looking at someone with envy, I guess. And the focus is obviously not on God when we do that. When we look at someone and all we can see is what we don't have, um, we are robbing ourselves of the presence of God. Just by doing that, if we're not focused on God, we, we are going to focus on other things that are not healthy for us. I, I had a, a wonderful um, AA sponsor initially, Justin from Dublin, and uh, he said, I have a God-shaped hole in my soul, and when I fill it with anything but God, anything but God, it's addiction. Just simply that. It starts to eat me up inside. And so I think that covetousness is, is a cycle of addiction. It's, um, it's wanting something other than God, and then you want it more and more, and God just diminishes in your life very, very, very quickly. Um, so I think that's what this is talking about. But I think it's it, Covetous, as far as I can see, and, and looking at the, the word source, is something a little bit more than want. And, and the little bit more, or the lot more, is it's like want combined with passion become desire. It's that, it's that desire, it's that deep yearning for. It's not just wanting. Um, I've been doing a lot of reflecting and I've been wondering why, and it definitely ties into this, about needing God, which I think we absolutely all do, and wanting God, um, which I think there have been a lot of times where I haven't wanted God. I know I need him, but it's really been a struggle to turn that into a passion. And I think you've got some of the answers to why that's been um, because of being asked to do this and having some, obviously the Holy Spirit whisper in my ear, you better take this one and I'll explain later. Um, uh, because that, that's what happened. But I think um, that we need God is so obvious, that everybody needs God is so obvious but it's, if you can grow a passion in your heart for God that is only quenchable by God, it's not addiction. It's a healthy obsession. 
and Paul actually cites in uh, Corinthians somewhere, I've lost the passage reference, but he also cites about the, uh, in some translations he even uses the word, to covet the things of God. And so there is a healthy coveting as well. Um, I am privileged to uh, be in another fellowship on Friday nights. I, I have been until recent events uh, leading, um, uh, co-leading the uh, Friday night prayers for this group. And it's just 15 minutes where we try to center on God and not sin. Um, and Phil is, is about 10 years older than me. He has walked faithfully with God his whole life. He's not a perfect man, he wouldn't claim that, but he's been incredibly faithful to God. He's got a lovely wife, family, um, and um, about 15 years ago, he was diagnosed with leukemia. And he had one really dark slide where they just couldn't get the blood counts right and the medicine right. And he almost died. And then um, he's put on, I think, another course. And he, um, he, he's having a very, very rough patch right now. And um, I had something that I know I need to acknowledge as an absolute miracle happened over the summer. Um, I had um, lesions come up uh, on my gums, and I have, I think, five of the six um, uh, indicators for um, mouth cancer. It's a horrible, horrible kind of cancer. And these look pretty serious, so serious that they immediately scheduled me in for biopsy, where they were going to try to take it all uh, out. Um, and I... I, I um, it's the first time in my life I've ever asked for healing, um, and I did. Um, and then I'm just, I mean, I, I have to confess, I'm a little bit of a skeptic, you know, I just kept putting my tongue over and checking the, the lesions to see what's, what's happened, almost challenging God to make the miracle happen, um, probably not believing that it would. And there's a, a lady from church who, I think, just so I couldn't deny it, <laughs> was placed right there in the, in, in the waiting area. She was going to have a procedure as well. And both of our procedures, she was after me, and both of our procedures were running two hours late. And so we chatted, and I you know, told her about the situation. And we, we prayed a little bit. And, um, and then I, I went in, and as I walked into the room, I again moved my tongue over just to see what had happened. And there was like this huge wad of thick tissue paper where the lesions were. I went, they're dead. They're gone. They're really gone. And he had pictures and everything done. He was quite concerned about them that the, um, the two, two surgeons, as we're going to try, thought there was something in my nose as well that needed to come out. Um, and both, so both of them were, were ready, and I said, um, gentlemen, I know you're running late, there's been a miracle, and services are not needed. And I was that confident that that's what had happened. And um, they looked, and then 
Uh, that wasn't enough. The senior doctor said, no, you must be mistaken. I look at the pictures. This, is, this can't have happened. These were pretty serious. We're pretty certain they were malignant. Um, what's going on? Anyway, I just had this happen, and, and I felt like I needed to acknowledge it, and Phil and I had a little meeting before the call, but I just felt so uncomfortable. Uh, and, and Phil demonstrated to me what good covetousness is in a very courageous way. He said, um, I am so thrilled for you and I'm so thrilled for everybody that gets healed and I pray for my own healing and I accept prayer for healing. Um, but the real miracle is that I'm going to spend eternity with God. That's the real miracle. Everything else is just temporary. So if I don't get this one, and I get to be there earlier, so be it. Because that's the real miracle. And I thought, wow, what a perspective. How gracious is that? And that's coveting for others the best that God has for them. And to do that while being ravaged with leukemia, I thought was, was really... Uh, something that really demonstrates that there is a positive covetousness. There is a positive passion. And it is a passion for the things of God. Um, I mentioned, obviously, that, that what I see in the commandments is God's desire to help us. And... Um, when we yearn for things that are not intended for us, um, God knows that doesn't help us. It, it distracts us, it eats us up inside eventually. And I do believe um, that this is, this is very serious. And it's not just for some reason, I think in the West we think of this as material. Um, I think this can be anything, anything at all that's not of God. Um, I, um, you know, I mentioned earlier that I would kind of bring this back around. I, uh, I wrote uh, two speeches. I'm not trying to one-up Anne. Um, I knew that I was gradually losing control of my devices and accounts. It's been very painful because what happens is, um, I mean, he's all automated on his side. You, you know, if he gets a uh, call with a uh, verification code, it's instantly in there you know he's got automation that is getting the codes from various sources what's really frustrating is when I hear it ringing on my phone and I can't find it and I know he's putting it in and claiming to be me um, and I, I said to the, the um, hub group the night I spoke to them I thought it was over honestly and that's a dangerous thing um, I thought it was over and I said you know I'd learned to just calm down about it and um, try to surrender it to God uh, because it's God in control not me in control obviously um, and it was that night that it started to happen again um, and this time far more rapidly uh, than it had before and things if I would dismantle something that had been set up on my computer or on my 
or on my mobile phone, it would reset itself back up at lightning speed and I'd be right back to the same situation that I'd worked so hard to get out of. Um, and so I was trying last week to ignore it and write this and I, probably like an idiot, I, I uh, saved it in, to my laptop because that's my personal device. And uh, I thought I was gaining ground, and this, is, this just shows you the, the folly, which will tie into the covetousness. Um, I thought I was gaining ground. I was getting a little bit smug. Every day last week, I thought I'd gotten another account back, and I was beginning to get myself to a place where I thought I was safe. And um, on Saturday, within three or four brutal hours, I thought it was everything I could. Uh, he he um, was successful in convincing Microsoft that my laptop is his, and uh, uh, and Microsoft ordered me off my own laptop because then it is a violation of his privacy. And that was really difficult to hear because <laughs> like, I paid for that laptop, but it happened because of my folly. I was asked to prove my identity on my mobile phone. It was easy. I went down to EE with my passport and did it. It's a little more complicated with Microsoft. It has to be done electronically. And I was asked just simply to prove my identity and I had to overkill. Maybe a male thing that you just reach that point where you see the victory and you just go for the overkill. It's not healthy. And I, um, so I sent not only a picture of myself with my passport, but I also sent it with the two boxes that contained my electronics, the original ones and the original receipts. And then my crowning glory was to finish it off with that. I didn't know this until this situation, but if you send a location tag, that's it. Once that location tag hits that proves that you are right there with those boxes, which is where your IP address is coming from. And five minutes later, I'm locked out of my laptop and I said, what happened? Well, Simon, not everyone with a Microsoft address works for Microsoft. I just sent him the complete documentation that proves that he is me. And so there's my first there's my first version gone. And then I started scrambled to write the second version last night while trying to stop him from getting my mobile phone as well. And trying to ignore it and stay focused on God and not doing a good job, honestly. I was still distracted. But I, I managed to write some things and I even asked for um, some help from some online AI just to, just to reconstruct my references. Quite good Bible references, actually. Um, and I had it saved to my work laptop today. I had a couple of free periods. I was just so happy. I had it pretty much pulled back together again. Uh, I get home, and I, I'm, I'm obviously seeing some things on my, on my device, and I'm seeing some things on my school laptop. Just that's kids' privacy. I, and I don't want their privacy to be sacrificed so that I can have a document to read from. So I immediately, as soon as I got into the house, I said, okay, call IT, 
We couldn't find any of the regular programs, and there are two documents, the documents that I was looking for, perfectly labelled as my documents. They're the ones all I needed to do was print. And he said, one of the IT guys said, Simon, they are HTML code. If you run those through your printer, he's going to convert this laptop and we're not going to get it back. And he said, you can't, you're going to have to delete. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? So the way this all ties together, I think, is this. What am I losing? What am I really trying to hold on to? Some email addresses with my name on it. but also have a history that tie me to the person I used to be heavily. That's what I've learned. My lifelong footprint on the internet, at least, is constantly with me because I didn't want to lose passwords, so I didn't want to unsync. And so I was constantly, I've been constantly reminded of my past in some ways that I've not always resisted. Um, I lost a couple of accounts in 2020, and then you know, I held on to some accounts that I didn't always behave honorably with. What I'm holding on to, what I'm coveting, is me. You're me. Not God. There's nothing. Very, very little of God there. It's just not there. And that's where I began to understand what this links into. That I'm coveting my past for whatever reason. And there's nothing there that holds value. What I need to do is... Yeah, protect myself financially, obviously, and people I know because contacts. I've got. I don't. I'm not a Facebook person, although a lot of you might have got friend requests all of a sudden. Because the only way I could prove that I was who I was was to go on Facebook and friend as many people as I could to prove that I knew people that would identify me. And so I did that all of a sudden. But I'm much more a LinkedIn person. More, you know, it's more of a professional site. Four thousand contacts there were not enough. Uh, once I'd really done myself in with Microsoft, let it go. Let it go. It's just holding me back. It needs to go. And I did ask, in a moment of desperation some months back, knowing that I'm not making the progress that God wants for me, that I want for myself, um, I asked for fire. And I got it. I got fire. It's going to have to be burned off me if that's the way it is. Burn it away. Let it die. Let it be finished. Because what's of value in me is God shining through me. That's why he likes broken people. I'm convinced of that. Because there's more cracks for him to shine through.
And um, so I have invited my visitor tonight. Um, and I'd like to say a couple of things to him. One, thank you. I know I will appreciate what you've done for me for all eternity, even if I don't quite appreciate it now. Because you are taking from me what I wouldn't give up, that I had to give up. Thank you, sincerely. And I'm sorry that I've not been the gracious host that my Lord and Master would have been. He would have used this as an opportunity to share with you. And I've not done that. I'm sorry for that missed opportunity. But I've done more lying cheating and stealing in various ways, more than enough for both of us. And I cannot tolerate that in my home any longer. So, take what you will. Take the old me. Maybe you can do something with it. But, Don't use my home as a place to cheat others. That is not acceptable. And know that what I should have said is that there is a God who loves you. No matter what you've done, because believe me, there's a God who loves me. There's a God who loves you. And if you give him everything, he'll give it all back. A thousandfold. For eternity. Amen. You've been listening to the Arise Bible Academy podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's teaching and please remember to head on over to ariseministry.org.uk if you would like to partner with us by making a secure online donation. You can also now follow us on social media at Arise Ministry UK. Arise Ministry, a living legacy.